Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Tough Take Podcast. I'm Zach Green. And I'm Luca DeLosta. In today's episode, we will be looking back on the Bucks patriots game, looking forward to the Bills-Chiefs game, and talking about mental health in the sports world. Let's get into it. So first, let's talk about the Buccaneers-Patriots game. What were your takeaways from that Buccaneers offense in that game? I was actually very surprised with Tom Brady going with no touchdowns or interceptions, 22 for 43 with 269 yards. Mike Evans was his main target, having seven receptions for 75 yards. And Antonio Brown also had a very good game uh, coming off the COVID list with seven receptions for 63 yards. Yeah, my only thing with Antonio Brown is he's either a hit with seven catches, 70-plus yards, or he's a miss, one reception for under 15 yards. But I was what I was really surprised about was, as you said, Tom Brady's game. He threw for a, about 50% completion rate, zero touchdowns, which is very unusual for him. And he only had a passer rating of 70.8. Yeah, they also ran the ball a lot more up uh, with 13 more rushing attempts than they had in Week 3 to 30. And... Leonard Fournette had 20 carries for 92 yards with Ronald Jones going six carries for 25 yards and an eight-yard touchdown. I think that was a big factor in this game as it was played in the rain and Tom Brady was off on some of his throws. There was also at the end of the game, I wanted to bring it up, there was two plays on Antonio Brown that they were both thrown into the end zone. One, I think Antonio Brown should have caught and one was a very good was very good defense, defended. But I want to talk about, Luca. if the Buccaneers had the touchdown, how do you think the Patriots could have responded in that instead of the missed field goal? They would have had to respond with a touchdown and quickly, but obviously that didn't happen. They go for a field goal, miss, uh, then the Buccaneers come out and they just kneel the ball. But I, I want to go to that rushing, the rushing attempts for the Buccaneers being up. I want to say that... Tom Brady was their leading rusher in week three with 14 yards, and I think they only had seven carries as a team. So seeing them run the ball a lot more was good to see because they have two solid running backs with Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette. Am I wrong? No, I do not think you are. The Bucks have two very good rushers in Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones who, when given the right opportunities, they can make a big, very big impact on the game. I just think that the Buccaneers offensive coordinator and head coach just haven't been utilizing them enough because in past games when you see them they often get one fumble early on they're just never put back in the game or utilized in the game but let's switch over to the defensive side of the ball and talk about what do you think Richard Sherman had do you think he had an impact on this game I think he did. I think his presence was definitely there. I did not see much from him as it is his first game back in over a year, but I do think he had a very big impact. He is still very good. He was once a top corner in the NFL on the Seahawks with the Legion of Boom. Luca, how do you think going forward later in the year he can make a very big impact on this defense? I think he can, especially in the leadership role, being that veteran on the team, but he didn't do much last game he did recover the one fumble but what I saw most of was he got a lot of flags against him which is also a point I want to touch on with the Buccaneers 
a team that's been penalized a lot in the weeks that have passed already. Overall, I think that Bucks defense was good, getting four sacks and 12 QB hits, but there's still stuff they can work on, and I still don't think they're the defense that we saw in that Super Bowl against the Chiefs. Yeah, I don't think so either. They still do have the 11 starters, but I did want to hit on the 12 QB hits they had on Mac Jones, the rookie, and the sacks up from week three as three versus the Rams, and the QB hits were up eight. The QB pressure and the pressure from the front four was definitely felt because Mac Jones was forced to release the ball quick, and the Patriots were never able to establish a strong running game, actually getting negative four yards rushing on the game. That is a very big impact, like I say again, in the rain because rushing was a big part of this game, and as Mac Jones, as a rookie, pressure, and he needs to be able to throw the ball, and lead his team down let's move over to the Patriots offensive side of the ball Mac Jones go went 31 for 40 275 yards and he had a 101.6 passer rating he also threw one interception but still had a passer uh better passer rating than Brady as this one was a very big game in the football world very very long awaited as Tom Brady did make his return to Gillette Stadium. Mac Jones also really distributed the ball to the nine Patriot players having at least one one reception it it was much different seeing how mac jones ran the offense versus tom brady as you said distributing the ball to nine players whereas tom brady only gave it to four or five but mac jones playing as well as he did is a statement and i think patriots fans should be excited seeing how they he played very well against a very strong Buccaneers defense as we touched on. Let's talk about Damien Harris. He had four carries for a negative four yards, which is the second quiet week in a row, in which he only had six carries for 14 yards in week three. And J.J. Taylor with his one carry for zero yards and fumble recovered by very big veteran Richard Sherman. The Also, the Patriots' third down conversions were very poor, going two for nine on third down in the week four matchup. Patriots were also the best in the red zone versus the Bucks, going two for three. And the Patriots had double the pen- penalties that the Bucks had in the Saints, eight versus the Bucks and four versus the Saints. How do you think that played a role in this game, Luca? Obviously, penalties play a big role in this game, in which I believe they had eight for 77 yards, which is almost a full length of the field. And when your team penalizes that much, it just... It hurts you, whether it's on defense or offense. It just, as you saw, they couldn't put up the points that they needed to, and who knows, maybe less penalties could have led to more points on that board. Yeah, I definitely think that because of the rain, big factor in this game, yards were very important as both quarterbacks did not throw touchdowns, so yards were very important. So let's talk about the O-line struggled up. They struggled and gave up four sacks and 12 QP hits on Mac Jones which is one sack from Week 3 matchup versus the Saints. And the Patriots' D-line had its biggest struggle versus the Bucks with only one sack and three QB hits. How do you think that can play a role later in the year versus, with, with the Patriots? If your QB is getting hit a lot and your D-line is not hitting the other QB a lot, it gives the other QB more time to sit in the pocket and throw the ball and gives your QB less time in the pocket to throw the ball, which was very evident in that game. Mac Jones having very little time versus Tom Brady having a lot of time in the pocket. And when you give a guy like Tom Brady that much time in the pocket, he will make the throw and he will make the connection that needs to be made. 
Yes, let's talk about the end of this game with Nick Folk. He hit the left upright on a 56-yard field goal with 102 remaining. That I think I think that was the, I don't think that was necessarily the game because Tom Brady would have a lot of time and would only need a field goal to win. But I do think that I do think that he sold the game right there. I agree, but you also have to take into account that's 56 yards in the rain, which means there's probably wind. If that's against him, who knows where the wind was blowing? But definitely a blow that the Patriots didn't want to take, and then that just 102 left. You have, you can't do anything, especially with no timeouts. Let's get into this week's Sunday night game, a great one: Bills Chiefs. Let's talk about Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes on the season one or two for one forty one with one thousand two hundred eighteen yards and fourteen touchdowns with four interceptions, having three in the month of September, first three ever in his career. He has a passer rating of one nineteen point six and a QBR of eighty two point nine, which are very high numbers. And he looked great against the Eagles with the less-than-average defense going 24 for 30, 278 yards with a whopping five touchdowns and one interception. Let's talk about how Tyreek Hill was a major factor in this game, Luca. Yeah, Tyreek Hill is definitely going to be also a major factor in the upcoming game. As you saw in the Ravens-Chiefs game, Tyreek Hill was kept very quiet, and they lost that game only by one. But if Tyreek Hill can put up numbers and touchdowns, the Chiefs, I think, win most of the time. Especially, yeah, he had 11 catches on 12 targets for 186 yards and three touchdowns. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had a decent start, having a decent start to the season with 58 rushes for 291 yards. No touchdowns, but his, his touchdowns do come in the passing game with two receiving. Kelsey, very slow week versus the Eagles, four catches for six targets, 23 yards, but he's been very productive throughout the season. In the three games, having 24 catches on 32 targets, 312 yards, and three touchdowns, one coming versus the Ravens. And that just goes to show you that even players like Kelsey and Hill have quiet games, but one quiet game from them, just not something to look at because the next game they'll come out and drop five touchdowns, or not drop, but they'll get five touchdowns, a ton of receiving yards, and they'll just be the dominant player of that offense. And that's what the Eagles have to work around is an offense like the Chiefs that has so much versatility and speed and talent. It's just you don't know what's going to hit you. Especially with Josh Gordon being reinstated. He did not play this game, but he is such a weapon. He is so fast. He's so agile, and he's a very good receiver. I think that will add a lot to their offense. Let's talk about the defense being the worst in the NFL their number one safety, Tyron Matthew, in his three games, has two interceptions, both picking off Lamar Jackson, one being a pick six. He also has 15 tackles and one sack on the season. But, Luca, let's talk about how Chris Jones going on in the season can help make a bigger impact rather than a slow start at the beginning. Yeah, Chris Jones has been kept very quiet this season, but they did move him from D-tackle to D-end, so he's in a different position. But still, he's only had five tackles and two sacks, which is very quiet because he's usually a guy putting up double-digit sacks and lots of tackles. And going back on this overall Chiefs defense, they're one of the worst, if not the worst, defense in football right now. And going against a team that has just as an electrifying offense as the Chiefs, with the Bills having Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, 
Cole Beasley, Dawson Knox. It just it's gonna be a shootout. It's it's gonna be a high scoring game, I think. I also wanted to bring up the Chiefs are giving up thirty one point two five points per game in four games, and the offense has kept them in the two games that they won. They are twenty third in the league with seven sacks, and the yards per play for the other team is six point nine six point nine yards, which is which is very bad, and an average of four hundred thirty seven point seven five yards per game for the other team, and allowing other quarterbacks for a sixty nine point three completion percentage and twelve yards of completion. Luca, how do you think the Chiefs defense can try to limit that if they can on Josh Allen and the Bills? Keyword if they can, because as I said. With an offense that has so much firepower and a Chiefs defense that just hasn't done well so far, I don't see much changing, honestly. I think they're going to rely a lot on their offense to keep them in the game, which so far they have. But going against a Bills defense that has shown up in every game so far, except for maybe the week one against the Steelers, it's going to be interesting to see what changes they make on the Chiefs defense. But all we're going to have to do is wait and see. Yeah, let's move on to the Bills here with Josh Allen. Josh Allen is off to another great start of the season. MVP, I think MVP talk right now. 99 for 157, 1,055 yards, 9 touchdowns and 2 interceptions with a QB rating of 96.4 and a QBR of 57.11. Stephon Diggs with another great start. 26 catches for 305 yards and a single touchdown. And Josh Allen's second target, Emmanuel Sanders, still showing that he has it with 16 catches for 268 yards and two touchdowns. Going back to Josh Allen's stat line this season, I would just like to point out that he has a QB overall QBR of 57.1, and he's had, as you said, you think a MVP candidate year so far. I don't think people understand that Patrick Mahomes having an 82 overall QBR is insane. That means he's not just throwing the ball well, he's moving that ball with his legs well. But I definitely think, as you said, Stefan Diggs with a great start, as you said, 300 yards and a touchdown. And their rushing game so far has been very good, with Devin Singletary having 259 rushing yards and an average of 5.3 yards a carry. And he has a touchdown, which I think was 56 yards. And they also have Zach Moss, who has 147 rushing yards with an average of 4.2 yards a carry and three touchdowns. Yeah, I also wanted to bring up Josh Allen and his legs. He has 129 rush yards with an average of 5.4 on a touchdown. I think that can give the Chiefs a lot of problems with Josh Allen being as mobile as he is and his pocket presence, being able to escape the pocket, survey the whole field. I think that's really improved about him over the past couple of years. How do you think the Bills' top five defense, I think, can match up against the Chiefs' electrifying offense? I think it's going to be a great matchup. Because a Bills team that is has 12 sacks, 26 QB hits against redefined Chiefs O-line, and only allowing 68 rush yards a game, and only giving up 216.75 yards a game, compared to that Chiefs defense giving up 400-plus yards a game. I also want to talk about Micah High with another great start. 14 tackles and 2 interceptions. They also are forcing opponent to an average of 216.75 yards a game, which I think will be a great test to see how Patrick Mahomes can try to gain a lot of yards on this Bills defense. The Bills are also allowing 68 rush yards a game, which the Chiefs are averaging around 150. They are also around a 56.2 completion percentage average against the Bills on the year, 
and 8.8 yards of completion. How do you think the Chiefs can send or give Josh Allen a lot of pressure as we know Josh Allen is a very good in-the-pocket type QB? Now, this question, I think, can go both ways with the pocket presence and the mobility of both Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, but it'll be interesting to see with this Chiefs defense not being able to give QBs a lot of pressure yet and this Bills defense being able to put pressure on QBs, it'll be interesting to see if this will level out this game or will the Bills just dominate the QB pressure and put Patrick Mahomes back on his heels, which he's shown to not play very well in the Super Bowl when he was pressured most of the plays. Yeah, the Bills defense also with 11 takeaways so far, I think leading the league, seven interceptions and four forced fumbles, a killer for the other team. And teams are three for nine in the red zone against the Bills. I think that's a very big part of it. That's a lot of points you're giving up in the red zone. I also wanted to talk about the Chiefs need to send, I think, a lot of pressure against Josh Allen to make him throw stuff he does not want to throw. Because if you give Josh Allen time with receivers like Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley, and Stephon Diggs, they're going to get open. That's every team. They're going to get open. So I think the Chiefs have to send a lot of pressure and keep everyone on their toes with Josh Allen because he will turn a game around in a matter of minutes, I think. I definitely agree with you there. Now let's shift over from these games and let's talk about mental health in the sports world. Let's start with Simone Biles withdrawing from her individual Olympic events and Naomi Osaka, a woman tennis star who withdrew from the French Open, skipped the Wimbledon, which is the most prestigious tennis tournament, lost in the U.S. Open, then announced she was going to take a break again. And the reason for both of these is taking a step back from their sport and focusing on their mental health. In these athletes' cases, it was to take a step back from the spotlight and the pressures that playing at the highest level brings. But I also read that there was an article from USA Today in which Tom Brady told them that he backed their decision to take a step back from the spotlight and everything and to focus on their mental health. And I think I agree with what Tom Brady says because a lot of times it's overseen, the pressures and the almost necessity to be perfect because the fans expect the most, which, of course, they should. You're getting paid a lot of money. But to see athletes take a step back is good because then it also shows other people, especially the younger generations, that it's okay to notice that for your mental sake, stepping back and focusing on yourself will actually help you. I think that a big factor to mental health struggle is social media. And this is this was especially evident when Spanish soccer player Alvaro Morata received social media abuse after Spain's loss to Italy in the Euro 2020 semifinal in which Morata missed a penalty when the game went into penalties, and then Italy went on to win the entire Euro 2020. But he said that there was nights where he had to put his phone in a whole other room because of all the hate he was receiving from fans and people who just, I guess, were against him. And he said it took a massive toll on his mental health. But in all, I think it is important, and it's great to see athletes not only these athletes, but there's many more like Hayden Hurst and Dak Prescott of the NFL who decide to take a step back and speak out to the public to take care of yourself and your mental state before going in, in their case, competing in, in athletics. And this will overall, I think, destigmatize that mental health is something 
bad in a person and it's something wrong in a person where in which it's something that happens to most people and it's not always it's not wrong for a person to suffer from mental health especially in these days of covid where people are losing loved ones close friends and just people around them i'd also like to add mental health is very important and it's not good to suffer in silence it's good to get help and speak out so other people know and you can get help the right help that you need that's a great point. All right, let's shift over from mental health and let's look at a very controversial call right now in the NFL that's been there forever, but is getting instructed way more in the taunting penalty. And you say at the NFL level, and it's been enforced, I've seen a lot this year especially, but it's not only at the NFL level. I've seen it in some high school games also where players just do as little as beating on their chest or putting up a peace sign and they get a taunting penalty. Now, other cases are when people say something in another player's face or clap in their face, like, yeah, I think that should be enforced. It's it's bad behavior that's not to be in the game. But when a player is celebrating a big play like a sack or a touchdown, I think they should be able to dance. Of course, there are some cases like Antonio Brown twerking on live television, which is promoting poor behavior. Yeah, there are a lot of calls that I think should not be taunting, but in some circumstances there should be. But I think it makes the celebration part of the game a lot less fun because you have to be worried, oh, is this going to be 15 yards to hurt my team? I agree with your point there because I strongly believe that dancing is a part of the NFL now or in football because people, like players, love to celebrate. And I think it's it's good because a lot of times now is teams, especially defenses, celebrate together. So it's not only celebrating yourself, it's kind of celebrating your team and your teammates backing a big play you made to help the team out. Yeah, I definitely think that after each takeaway, usually a team will go in front of the camera near the end zone and take a good team picture. That will do it for us on the first episode of the Tough Take Podcast. I'm Zach Green. I'm Luca DeLosta. Thank you for listening.